When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. Back on the mornings. Yeah. So. Back on the mornings, it could be quite inconvenient. I should point out to listeners, if they hear any funny noises or strange noises or or noises that are loud and don't belong on a podcast, it's because, A, the council are outside my house on my road digging it up so they can lay new water pipes and what have you. This has been going on for a little while, but they've sort of moved right outside my house. So any drilling or jackhammering or anything like that, that could be an issue. Also, my next-door neighbour has got the, he had this sort of roof uh, thing over his side passage, which he's getting taken off and a new one replaced this morning as well. So there's bound to be some drilling and hammering and banging. And let's take into account as well that there could be some dog barking as well uh, at all the noise. So I apologize in advance to anybody for all the noises uh, that might happen during this podcast. I mean, I suppose as annoying as it is for the listeners for the hour or so that we're doing this podcast, they should remember that you have to live with that beyond that hour. That's going to be there all day, probably. Yeah, it is. But I know there are many of them now thinking, you know, you should have just stuck to Sunday night. If you'd stuck to Sunday night, this wouldn't be an issue. It'd be nice and quiet and peaceful and uh, we wouldn't have... Dogs don't bark on Sundays. It's one of their rules. Yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) I wish. I wish. (laughs) So how have you been uh, dealing with this interlull so far? Do you know what? I feel like this is a, a probably not the best way to start a football podcast, but mm-hmm. I've been dealing with it quite well. I've sort of, I feel like the first international break when that came around, I was still very much in the fervour of it being the start mm. of a new season and terribly excited about all the football. So I kind of consumed it. But this time, I've been quite busy with other stuff and I've been right. sort of not really paying much attention to it. Sure. I mean, I've read the, you know, I've read the Arsenal.com roundup of where everyone is and what they're doing and checking if they got injured. But aside from that, I've not actually been watching a great deal of the football, have you? No, not a single moment of any football whatsoever. It's been quite, uh, it's been quite dull, really, um, generally speaking. Like you, I just pay attention to if there's any reports of anybody being uh, maimed or injured or, you know, their legs falling off. Important people, you know. I did like the bit at the end of the Arsenal.com round up where they said David Ospina played 90 minutes for Colombia and I was thinking well fuck who cares yeah. you know I mean <laughs> with all due respect to David Ospina he's not an Arsenal player anymore I know he is technically an Arsenal player but he's not playing for Arsenal he's playing for for Napoli so no I haven't really been paying any attention to any of that I have been playing a video game though uh, the, new, the new Assassin's Creed game it's uh. called Assassin's Creed 
Odyssey, and it contains some of the worst voice acting I have ever heard in my life. Like, they've obviously put millions and millions and millions into this game, and it's set back in the day as the Assassin's Creed games are. What day is it set in? It's set back in ancient Greece around the time of the Spartans, I think. I'm not that far into it, but let me just ask you this. I'm going to ask you to do something and see if you can do it. I want you to do the most generic foreign accent you can think of. So if I was to say to you, do a foreign accent, just do any, what what you consider to be the most foreign accent or the most uh, apt foreign accent. Just, do you want me to say anything in particular? No, no, no. You can ju- um, say something like, this is how they speak on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Okay. This is how they speak on the Assassin's Creed Odyssey. That's it, almost exactly the way they do it. It's incredible. No, I am a foreign. We have to do this mission and everything is all right like this. It's just bananas. And then there's this one guy who sounds like um, Adam Buxton doing Harry Enfield. And he's like, ah, you crazy guy. You can't do this. This is a very important mission for us to have. And then all the people sound it sounds exactly. Sounds like a Yeah, Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. And even the children are like, oh, my God, you are such a nice guy to do this for. It's really, really bad. What I don't get is if it's all set in Greece, why don't they just speak with the English accent, or you know, do you know what I mean, or a standard American accent? I, like, why have they bothered with that? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I have to say, I don't know what Greek people sound like when they speak English, but I'm pretty sure it's not like that. It's a lot of sound. Yeah, there's there's not much of that. Of course, they throw in the odd malaka, like of this. Course. You know, you crazy yeah. guy, malaka. I don't know how to do this mission. It's just, <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. So, if there's any video game uh, manufacturers or or developers out there who would like me or you, indeed, because you've shown a great aptitude for this, mm. to 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 do all the voices in their video games from now on, we can do it at knockdown prices. You won't have to pay any actors, you know, what you're paying them now. We can do it all. Man, women, children, it's, you know, dogs. Woof! Oh, woof! I'll do it all. What crazy so, dog! And so within the game, do you just end up assassinating people based on how bad their accent is, essentially? Um, I, I'm not quite sure. I mean, you don't get to hear all of the, the, the people that you're killing along the way. There is a fair right. amount of assassination, as you would expect, from a game called uh, Assassin's Creed. Mm. Mm, I would like to see uh, a new version of this game where it's actually Apollo Creed who goes back in time and yeah, has to assassinate cool. people. That would be pretty amazing. He has to box them to death. <laughs> <laughs> He's not- just running around. It'd be difficult for him to climb walls and stuff with those gloves on. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's actually one of the good things about this game is that you can climb stuff. I was playing right. another one recently where, you know, you uh, could have been God of War or whatever, but it, the, the, there's like a tiny little wall in front of you, but you can't climb over the wall because you're not supposed to go that way. But you can punch people 100 feet in the air, but you can't climb over a a six-inch wall. It's very strange, a bit disconcerting. So, look, that's kind of what I've been doing along with dog walking and basically uh, waiting for real football to return. Apparently, if a stag attacks you, if you confront a stag, you should always climb. This is what I learned last week. So, hang on, if you're, if you're out somewhere and yeah. let's say you're on the way home, you've had a few drinks. Exactly. And then you turn a corner and there in the road before you is a fully grown stag. Right. If I was told that if you stand your ground, the stag will charge you. Right. If you, if you lie on the floor, the stag will trample you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Presumably, if you run towards the stag, that doesn't go very well either. But if you climb, they cannot get to you. Well, I mean, that's pretty fucking obvious, isn't it? They're they're deer. They're you do, you don't yeah. See... We don't see deer, but then you do see goats up trees. So well, they're goats. Goats aren't deers. Yeah. But they're similar looking, aren't they? They from are. A distance. They are. <laughs> like it could be a small deer. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd put that out there. Who knows? I might have saved a life. There well, could be an Arsenal fan wandering around Islington, you know, half cut. He turns the corner onto the Holloway Road. There's a stag. He doesn't know what to do. Now he knows if he mounts a lamppost, he'll get, be all right. Yeah, get on top of a bus shelter. You're safe as houses up there. Yeah. I we, don't know how you ever get down. Well, I mean, presumably, yeah, presumably the stag would move on at some point, unless it was the most stubborn stag in all the world who was there unless, for a specific reason. If, if it well, was if a, the stag was an assassin. That's exactly it. If it was a stag assassin who was after you, he'd just wait it out. Those Is are that some, a better game? Where you're a stag who's an assassin, <laughs> you have to... Well, granted, you can't climb, but you could just charge around, crashing into stuff. Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty unsubtle. You know, if you couldn't climb, all your all your enemies could just get up trees and on bush shelters. They didn't have bush shelters back in ancient Greece, I don't think. No, probably not. No. Little cart stands, maybe. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Um, so what else? I mean, that's all very interesting. Is there anything interesting happening in the football? Uh, Thierry Henry is the big thing. Well, Thierry it? Henry, yeah, the big thing. Thierry Henry is the head coach of Monaco. There were stories, weren't there, last week where he was supposedly going to Aston Villa with John Possibly Terry. alongside John Terry. Like, I why know. would anyone do that? Why would actually? Here is just what, speaking of why would anyone do that? We have a, a a tweet here in the in the questions from Oliver Till, who says, "Have you seen this video of John Terry singing Stand by Me'? And did it also make you want to die?'" But no, now, I haven't seen that, and I've got no intention of watching John Terry sing. It's on that 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 uh, TV show, The League of Their Own, with that terrible um, James Corden fellow. Yes, shall I? Watch it now. Do you, know, you know when you press play on the video? Yeah, um, it's on uh, Bearded Genius's Twitter account, among other okay. places. When you press play, a little thing flashes up at the bottom saying "Enjoy with sound." Oh. And I'm, I'm pressing play. Okay, the intro's on. It's all the dum dum. He's wandered out on stage. He's clicking, but seemingly not in time to the music at all. <laughs> it's just random. Oh, he's going for it. Okay. He's he's not wearing full Chelsea kit, disappointingly. Right. He's in white jeans. No, white T-shirt and denim jeans. Faded denim. Okay. Oh, oh it gets worse. Oh, no, the how? The screen has come up behind him. Right. And a number of people... <laughs> oh, my God, it's the entire cast of the show, including James Corden and Jerry Calliwell, have come out wearing Chelsea kits to uh, be the backing singers. Oh, my God. Freddie Flintoff singing now. Oh, well, what is this? This is... Is this hell? I think so. And Jamie Redknapp singing in a Chelsea shirt. No! Romesh Ranganathan is singing in a Chelsea shirt. He's an Arsenal fan. He's he an... should be ashamed of himself. Absolutely. Yeah, currently... Oh, my God. Oh, my word. John Terry is flanked by... by James Corden and Jerry Halliwell as his backing singers. Oh, what? This is hell. This is... Un right, I, it's over. I did that so you didn't have to. Thank you. Thank you. That is what the worst one minute and 16 seconds possibly of my life. It only, could only have been topped if Phil Collins had suddenly <laughs> appeared from the smoke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. That is unbelievable. Do you think it was that 
that that made Thierry Henry decide not to take the Aston Villa job with John Terry? I think it can only be. It can only be. Why else would you choose Monaco after, over Birmingham? Yeah, your your former club. You know, your why, former why club else? with yeah. plenty of money and you know in the top division and in the Champions League on the south of France. Why else? I've got no idea. Oh my God! Well, look, I hope you're. I hope you're. Okay, after watching that, I we feel might need like to take the end of part one here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm on the edge, to be honest. <laughs> I'm just uh, sitting you. I'm just picturing you at home now, but rather than your face, it's the puke emoji, the green puke yeah. emoji. Yeah, I'm doing that thing. You know that like aging centre halves do in the latter stages of games, where they've got their hands on their haunches and yeah. they're sort of like yeah. just taking deep breaths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm doing now. It's it's desperate times. Oh my goodness. But, uh, um. Yes, Thierry Henry. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it'll be very interesting, won't it, to see how he, he gets on? It will be very interesting. I'm really, really curious to see how how he gets on in this job. Um, you know, there have been so many people over the years, haven't they, who said Thierry Henry, next Arsenal manager. He's got to be, he's a legend, he loves the club. And, I, you know, we, we all know that, but... Um, it always there's more to it than that, isn't there? Because he's said to be quite close with the with the Cronkies. Yeah, he's him and Josh, I believe, are quite tight. So maybe mm. this is maybe this is the first step in that direction. But of course, it will depend on on how the job goes. I mean, how do you f- feel like he'll do based on what we've seen from Thierry Henry as a player, as a captain, as a as a television pundit, and a little bit as a coach at Arsenal, of course. He did have a job as a coach working with the youth players at Arsenal. Arsene Wenger famously asked him to choose between working as a youth coach at Arsenal and working for Sky Sports. And at the time, I would imagine the Sky Sports offer, given that it was £20 million, £5 million a season, was far more lucrative than the uh, the wages yeah. that you would have as a youth coach at Arsenal. So he went that way, um, which is fine. I think that's perfectly all right if that's the way you want to go and you want to spend a bit more time before you go into the world. He's only still, what is he, 41, Thierry Henry? Something like that. So that's still and, and pretty young. as well, he did take the Belgium job at that point. So he had, you know, a hand in in football still. He mm. wasn't just doing the analysis stuff. He went to a World Cup after all. Yeah. But um, I... Well, look, let, it's kind of twofold. So, I, instinctively, I've never thought of Thierry Henry as someone who strikes me as, as someone who would be a great manager. Like, that's just a pure gut reaction. Yeah. And the other half of this coin is to say, that means next to nothing that I feel like that, you know... I've been wrong many times in the past, and I think that that idea is probably based upon certain stereotypes about great players don't mm. necessarily make great managers. But there are huge, you know, there are lots of cases that maybe work against that. I mean, Zinedine Zidane is the one who I think of recently. Now, granted, he had a pretty decent squad to work with and one of the two best players in the world, but he still was a very effective manager of that Real Madrid side. Right. Um, but, yeah, so I... I I've never quite been able to buy into the idea of Henri as uh, as a Arsenal manager. Maybe yeah. it's because of the kind of captain he was. Yeah, I, that's he was sort on. of a symbolic captain. He was kind of captain so that he would stay almost mm-hmm. because he was the player with the most clout at the club. But you never really felt like he was. Uh, a, a, what do I mean? I, I never really felt like he was a, a t- 
team guy in certain ways. You know, he was the guy who would scowl at his teammates as much as he would yeah. encourage them. Yeah, I do wonder. That's where I have a little bit of concern. Not concern, but that's my, my, my gut feeling on this would be that he might find the job difficult in the same way that Roy Keane found the mm. job difficult because he was such a brilliant player that it's hard for him to get his head around I think that was a flaw with Keane that he just couldn't understand why uh, why players couldn't do what he wanted them to do or weren't doing it the way that he would have done it himself and and that was evident in Henri as a player wasn't it when he uh, when he looked disgruntled that scowl that you mentioned that was aimed at someone like Jose Antonio Reyes more than once you know Reyes I mean if you could read the room you would say that Reyes was a guy who needed the arm-round-the-shoulder kind of treatment, not just from the manager, but from his teammates. And I don't think he got that from Thierry Henry. Uh, you know, and that's not to say that players have to get on, but I just wonder if uh, if that will be an impediment to him doing the job as well as he would like. Interestingly, he's brought Kwame Ampadu, who was our head coach for the under-18s, with him as well. So somebody he knows and has trusted uh, from his time at Arsenal... So maybe an admission that um, he needs good people around him or people around him who have displayed perhaps characteristics and traits that he doesn't possess or never will possess. I'm very interested to see what kind of a coach is he going to be. Is he going to be an Arsene Wenger? You know, is he going to take that as his example, as as the way to, to, to manage players and to manage a team? Or is he going to go in a completely different way, like George Graham, for example, when George Graham uh, famously was known as Stroller as a player, but when he became a manager, was very strict, a real disciplinarian, wanted players who would work hard and follow the follow the rules and obey George to the letter of the law. And if they didn't, well, woe betide them, you know? So it's going to be very interesting to see what way he approaches the job. Yeah, and he's worked with some pretty handy coaches, you know, in his time. I mean, obviously, Arsene Wenger you mentioned, but he, I think he was very influenced by Pep Guardiola, too, when yeah. he went to Barcelona. And he's, in his punditry, he's spoken about that a lot. I'm just looking back as well. I think when he was at Juventus, I think the manager there was Marcello Lippi. So he's worked under some uh, some top coaches. And, you know, when people talk about Mikel Arteta as a potential Arsenal manager, that's often one of the things they cite. You know, what's he learned from this guy? What's he learned from that guy? Omri's had a, a hell of a football education. And the truth is that I don't think... It's funny, isn't it? Like, I, I actually don't think he was a particularly good pundit. And I wonder if that has slightly influenced people's perception of him as a, a manager. Mm-hmm. But if there's anything that the, the Gary Neville experiment at Valencia shows, it's that being a good pundit and being a good manager don't necessarily go hand in hand. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I guess you can get an idea of somebody and how they view the game and how they mm. how they think about football. Arsene Wenger said it's a good choice. He really understands football, you know, but he's got to be hardworking and dedicated. So Arsene Wenger knows Thierry Henry as, as much as anyone, uh, with the caveat, of course, that, you know, when he comes out and talks about his former player and his former club, he's not going to say, ooh, don't know if this is a great idea. Um, so, yeah, sure. we, we, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, I think the most interesting piece of punditry I ever saw from Thierry Henry was him explaining the demands that Guardiola put on him as a player. That. Yeah. It's a really, really good clip, really interesting clip, and how he, in some ways, curtailed the the license to roam or the freedom that Henri had enjoyed as a player um, 
at Arsenal under Arsene Wenger where he could basically do whatever he wanted. I think he said in that clip, didn't he, that you know Guardiola had said, you do this, and he didn't do that. He came inside and scored a goal and immediately got taken off. Yeah. Uh, despite the fact he'd produced something for the team, Guardiola was like, no, you know, this is not what I asked you to do, so off you come, and you're Thierry Henry, no respecter of reputations. So it, it will be interesting for sure to see how it goes. And, of course, Patrick Vieira's uh, the, the manager of Nice, Nice mm. face Monaco in Monaco on December the 8th. That is going to be a, a well-watched game. Who has the rights for Liga in the UK and Ireland? Is it BT? Uh, I don't know. It might be BT, mightn't it? Mm. Uh, I mean, Nice, I don't think have had a particularly great start. I mean, I think he's won three of his first nine games, Vieira. But uh, they're going through a bit of a transitional period there. They lost their manager. They lost mm. Seri. You know, they lost a couple of big players. Uh, but, yeah, that'll be fascinating to see how they get on. And, I mean... I can't remember now, but was the implication that both were spoken to sort of in some cursory terms about the management position at Arsenal this summer? Well, if we're to believe Ivan Gazidis, they had a, a long list of candidates who they researched and spoke to, blah, 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 if you believe Ivan Gazidis. Sure. Well, the, the story that seemed to be coming out from Vieira's side was that if he was spoken to, it was just that, a cursory kind mm. of checking in almost. But it, it will be fascinating to see how they both get on because... You know, you can't help but slightly uh, hope for one of them to come through. And, you know, in a in a dream scenario, they would be fantastic Arsenal managers. You know, the fans would love it, wouldn't mm. they? Well, yeah, yeah. But they've got some they've got some work to do to prove that they're the right man for the job, particularly if we want Arsenal to be on an upward trajectory and get back to where we all would like Arsenal to be in terms of competing for the league and being back in the Champions League and, and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to, to look on and see how this goes and see how those two guys get on in, in Liga this season. Um, what else? Lauren Koscielny, he's retired from international football. What did you... Yeah. What, I mean, I, I don't think the decision is in any way a surprise. You know, even in, the, even in normal circumstances, a 33-year-old announcing their retirement from international football after a, a big summer tournament it, you know that's par for the course really you know you can only go on so long as a player and you've got to reduce your workload to make sure you stay fit so on that basis it's not really a surprise but he, he was very forthright wasn't he about the way he was feeling this summer about uh, France and their success in the World Cup yes and I completely get it I have to say you know like mm. I completely understand how he must have felt and you know, it, it must be a horrible feeling to think, well, I, you know, I probably would have been playing in a team that that lifted the World Cup. I, you know, I mean, Lacazette probably had his grievances about it too, but at least he was fit. You know, Koscielny was robbed of that opportunity by mm. injury and that must be quite traumatic. And I wonder if that has something to do with the timing of the announcement. You know, it seems an odd time to make it, but presumably he just didn't feel that he could make that announcement in the immediate aftermath of the World Cup. He probably had a lot to think about, a lot to process, a lot to kind of make his his peace with. Um, but, you know, undoubtedly it's the right thing. We don't even know what sort of level he'll be able to come back mm. and play club football at yet. Um, so I think the added burden of international football, particularly at a time when he's probably quite unlikely to be selected, really, with France yeah. having one eye on the future, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's... The right thing, but it's funny. I sort of, I kind of forgot. I think about his experience this summer and how painful that must have been. And yeah. it was, it was a difficult read. But you know, 
very honest, very candid. Um, and one only hopes, really, that that you know, the, if the, the maybe the positive that might come is that that motivation to come back and play again at the top level, you know, the kind of motivation that propelled mm. Santi Cazorla to his extraordinary comeback with Villarreal. Hopefully that can see Koscielny uh, back in the Arsenal team come yeah. January because we could do with something like the old Laurent Koscielny, that's for sure. For sure. For people who haven't read the quotes yet, he talked about how, he said, France's World Cup victory did me a lot more psychological damage than my injury did me. And when you consider the seriousness of the injury... You know, that's really saying something. At 32, to rupture your Achilles tendon, as I wrote on the blog today, it, it, it brought out the humanity in Diego Costa. The injury was that bad that Costa was yeah. consoling Cassiani on the floor. And, you know, people talk about Costa off the pitch being a, a great guy and a nice guy, but on the pitch we know he's, he's a very different animal. Uh, Cassiani continued, I wanted them, France, to qualify for the next round, and at the same time I wanted them to lose. It's a selfish side. Certain people will say, how could he want France to lose? But that was my feeling in those particular moments. And I think it, it really is a very human reaction to that. It, yeah. You know, whether it's um, football or, or even work sometimes, if you see a friend achieve something in work or in a career that you yourself would like to achieve, there is just a natural resentment in a small way to that, you know? Mm. And particularly mm. in football, you know, uh, everyone talks about how the team is the most important thing and everyone says you know it's the, the team is most important but you know individuals players are selfish they want to play nobody likes being on the bench and you can smile all you like about you know being on the bench or whatever but the natural reaction is you know I don't want to be here I want to be in the team ahead of that guy I can remember like very clearly at, towards the end of my my Sunday league career um the, the manager of the team was playing a guy at centre half who I thought was shite, right. but I was on the bench and maybe for good reason, I don't know but at the same time you're watching a game and you want your team to win and you want your uh, your side to play well, but I'm looking at him going, make a mistake or yeah. get yeah. injured a little bit, not much, just get a little bit injured if you don't mind or get a suspension so I can get back in the team. And it's not necessarily out of animus towards this guy. It's just because, well, you're playing in my position and I want to play there. Um, yeah, I think I'm everybody's sure when, experienced that. I'm sure when Petr Cech felt that hamstring go, I'm sure a big part of Bernd Leno was absolutely delighted. I'm sure he thought, here we go. Yeah. You know, because that's natural. And also, that's what you want from your players. You know, you want them to want to play. It's all very well having camaraderie but and a bit of friendly rivalry. But ultimately, for a competitive squad, you want them to want to be in the team. And I'm sure we've all had that experience of work of, you know, yeah, you don't get a job, someone else does, you know, and you feel that mm. bit of enmity or that bit of, you know, just... And it's often more about you than it is about them, but... Mm. I think what Koscielny's describing is very honest and I think everyone could understand it. I I, I completely get it. And in fact, I'm always amazed when I see um, players who aren't picked for World Cups, you know, either through injury or other reasons, like cheering their, their country on. I always think that shows a remarkable <laughs> kind of fortitude. Or maybe they're, just, maybe they're just doing that on their social media channels for show, to be honest, because well, maybe deep down they all feel a bit like Lauren Koscielny. Yeah, I mean, you can't do it You can't do it publicly while you're still part of the team. And I think that's what's interesting about what Koscielny said. You know, I'd much rather hear something like that from Koscielny 
that's honest, it's open, it's maybe hard for people to understand. Some people might think it's a, a terrible way to think, but I really, I really think it's a human reaction, just a basic human reaction to see a team achieve something that you knew you could be part of. You know, you could have been a World Cup yeah. winner if, you'd, if you hadn't suffered this terrible injury. Um, and a little bit of resentment, I think, is... It's not even resentment. I, you know, it's probably envy or jealousy or, or whatever it is. It's not necessarily a positive emotion, but it's completely understandable. So I think it's, it's good in this era of footballers talking in bland... Um, say sound nothing bites, sound yeah. bites that you know really you could just reel off most post match interviews. You, it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. But you know this is this is a, an insight into the into the thinking of a, a, a professional, of a footballer, of a guy who's achieved a lot, but also a human being. And uh, yeah, I'm, I think it's great. I think it's great. And look, I as sad as I am for him, you know, like I say, hopefully there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel for Koscielny. You know, everything we hear suggests he's doing pretty well yeah. in his recovery and he's a bit ahead of schedule. So, I don't mm. know, it's a waiting game, really. We, we sort of don't know what we're going to get out the other side, do we? No. If it's going to be the old Koscielny or not. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such a traumatic injury that... You know, it is going to be difficult for him to reach those kind of levels, not least because he's he's now 33 years of age as well, which isn't really, really old. But for a guy who one of his great qualities was his pace and his aggressiveness and his ability to to get in ahead of an attacker and nick the ball. And you wonder how after that kind of an injury he's going to be um, he's going to be affected. I, I suppose the one thing I would say is that probably more than any other time in the last little while. I've got a great deal of faith in our medical team, our physios, our rehab, our recovery, our high performance, all that kind of stuff, I think will give him a much better chance of of returning to the kind of level where he can play a part, even if it's just for the rest of this season, because he did speak about how he might he might have left during the summer, you know, at the same time as Arsene Wenger. The injury, of course, put paid to that. But, you know, maybe at 33 next summer with a year left in his contract, he might fancy a move elsewhere and it's time for a bit of a changing of the guard. But, you know, I, I think it would be great if he could play a part for the rest of this season, not least because we do have some concerns about the centre of our defence in general. Yeah, and also, you know, the Koscielny that we saw last season wasn't someone playing free of injury and free of pain. You know, he was someone who was right on the edge and ultimately it cost him. And mm. who knows what this time out and, and the surgery he'll have undergone as well might do. To, you know, maybe... I think he was probably in such a bad state just before his injury that there's every chance he comes back a bit better than that. So... Mm. We'll see. We know that he's someone who can play through the pain barrier and still do a decent job. I am inclined to think, like you, he's not long for North London. I feel like there's been a couple of summers now, consecutively, where there's been talk about Ligue 1, about Marseille, uh, and maybe he feels the time is coming for him to kind of see out his career, maybe back in France. But yeah. I would love to see him play for Arsenal again. OK, the other thing that happened, I suppose, is Aaron Ramsey talking about his contract situation. He said, everything mm. had been going great with the club. We thought we were in a position where we'd agreed a deal, but that's no longer the case. I just have to carry on playing my football, do my best for Arsenal this season, and I'll leave the rest with the club now. So does that sound to you like the door remains open from the Ramsey point of view, that he would be willing to 
to discuss again? I mean, it's I really think, interesting. I think so. Come on, I, I think so. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I don't think that's... I mean, I don't think that's particularly surprising. I mean, you know, of course, it's in his interest to say, well, they're welcome to keep offering me mm. money. Uh, you know, the more offers he has on the table, the better it is. You know, even if he is my, even if he is minded to go elsewhere, if he can go to those potential suitors and say, "Look, Arsenal are offering me this to stay, so yeah. you, you've got to offer me this much more," or um, it's no surprise that he's keeping it open. He's been keeping it open for two years, and that's sort of the problem. Yeah. Um, so I sort of think it's, there's no real change in in his position. Uh, it just seems that the club have made up their mind and there have been stories as well haven't there that Emery has kind of taken a look at him and yeah I mean it's difficult to There's, decipher exactly who's making this decision exactly there's loads of stories going around some people are saying it was Unai Emery who made the decision other people are saying the decision came from much higher up that you know after the contract was supposedly agreed there was nothing from the Ramsey side of things for so much time that the board then decided somebody at board level you would assume or head of football you know, that kind of area, decided, okay, we'll take the contract off the table. Other people are saying it's because of money. They don't want to give him that much money when they're, you know, trying to cut the wage bill or save wages for for summer transfers or January transfers. So there's an awful lot of different pieces of information here um, with regard to to this story. So I just thought it was, uh, you know, interesting to hear Ramsey talk about it openly and to confirm the story that that had done the rounds, um, but also that he kept the door open. You know, it wasn't a case, well, look, that's that. I'm going to wait until my contract runs out. Um, you know, I don't have any doubts that he'll give us 100% when he plays. Uh, I really don't. It'll just be interesting to see if, if Unai Emery has a different view on how you treat players heading into the final six months of their contract if they're not willing to sign a new deal. Arsene mm-hmm. Wenger, for example, you remember what happened to Sylvain Wiltord and to Edu to a lesser extent. Players who did not agree a new contract with the club um, found themselves very much sidelined. Wiltord had an injury for most of most of uh, his final season. So, yeah. But then it felt a little bit like maybe that policy was shifting... You know, with Alexis and Ozil, well, well, it came to a head in January, didn't it? Oh, sorry, oh, I, dro- I dropped a lot of pencils, yeah. No, I mean, I think the difference is it's easier to sideline a Sylvain Wiltord when you've got um, Thierry Henry and when you've got Canu and when you've got Dennis Bergkamp and you've got, let's say, a young Jeremy Aliadier coming through who you feel like you want to give a chance to. It's easier to leave Wiltord on the sidelines, much more difficult to leave Alexis and Ozil sidelined when they're your key attacking players. Yes. I mean, the interesting thing about Ramsey is he is sort of theoretically a key attacking player. You know, he's a big figure in the squad, but from a sort of tactical perspective, he's maybe a little bit more expendable than mm. some of our other stars. So Emery can kind of play it either way. I mean, it felt telling, didn't it, that he was not starting in the Fulham match, but then he made such an impact off the bench. It's probably given everyone cause for consideration, reconsideration yeah. rather. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know how he's going to play it. Uh, it's going to be fascinating. But I think what that Fulham cameo showed is that he is still a really valuable member of the squad and I don't think there's going to be a scenario where he's frozen out I just wonder if maybe the tactical plan that Emery's working towards won't be kind of developed around him which is kind of what Emery implied throughout the summer wasn't Mm. it yeah I guess I suppose it's whether or not that that 
was part of the the plan or part of their attempts to make Ramsey stay or mm. to sign a new deal. So, you know, we, we, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what happens there. Okay, anything else that you've noticed? Uh, I'm just trying to think. Just, I mean, I suppose little bits and pieces. Um, I saw Reese Nelson scored for the under-21. He so did. that's sort of another good moment for him. He's had, had quite a, a promising month or so. It's interesting, actually, that in this last few weeks where he's scored a couple of Bundesliga goals and an under-21 goal, Jaden Sancho made his uh, his England debut, full England debut, in the strange behind-closed-doors game against Croatia. Right. And that really is the model, I, go, I suppose... I suppose that Nelson's trying to follow. I mean, they're really good pals, those two, mm. uh, by all accounts. And there was even talk of Sancho maybe coming to Arsenal at one stage. Um, and, you know, he's shown that you can go to Germany and flourish. And, yeah, I, I, uh, I've i got... I'm still really optimistic about Nelson. I know that it's sort of trickier when he's further afield and we're not perhaps keeping as close an eye on him. But I still feel that he's someone who is going to be a, a big factor in our squad building process over the next 12 months or so. Yeah, maybe, maybe you know, they're looking at the Danny Welbeck situation and saying, OK, there's no new contract for Welbeck as far as it uh, appears, but in nine months' time when it comes to next summer and, and Nelson has done a full season in the Bundesliga with Hoffenheim, then we've got a natural sort of replacement for him in the squad in the wide areas because that's where Welbeck has been playing. He hasn't really been playing as a as a striker. You know, when you've got Aubameyang and when you've got Lacazette, you know, Welbeck's always going to be the third choice in terms of the striking position, but for a wide player, maybe that's part of the long-term thinking there. So it's promising. He's had a promising start to his, um, to his career uh, in the Bundesliga, um, and that can only be good for us. The other thing I suppose we should mention is the Adidas deal. Um, yes. So, uh, great excitement about this. Yeah, people are really happy, aren't they? I mean, I think, let's say people have been a bit less than impressed by some of the recent mm. humour efforts. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair. <laughs> I think it's and I think- diplomatic and fair. Yeah, and I think there is a bit of hope that Adidas will be a bit of a return to form. I guess it's kind of uh, a nostalgic thing for some people as well mm. because there is that association with the club going way, way back. When, when did we last have Adidas? I think probably around 93, was it? Nike took over in 94. Yeah. But it was Adidas for 89. It was Adidas for 1991 winning the title. Um, the bruised banana kit. The bruised banana. Will, it, will yeah. it return? Who knows? Who knows? They'd be foolish not to give it a go. Uh, I think they'd also be foolish not to um, not to go traditional, you know? Get back to get back to yellow and blue for an away kit. You know, I think we forget that the very first Puma away kit was lovely. It was really nice, the, the yellow and blue. Remember they had um, the British core outside the stadium, Oxlade-Chamberlain and Jenkinson and Ramsey... Uh, all wearing that yellow and blue kit. So, do, yeah. yeah. So maybe something like that. Um, the Adidas, the Adidas uh, CEO was talking during the week and he said, uh, what was it? He said, uh, when we look upon the Arsenal brand, it's a stellar global brand that has been underperforming in the last couple of years. We believe that long term there was there is so much upside to Arsenal, which is what they've got to say, I guess, when you're paying somebody sixty five million pounds a season, which is very nice money, which we hope will be reinvested back in the team. But I think, yeah, just general excitement because uh the the Puma stuff has been very, very underwhelming in the last couple of seasons in particular. Yeah, and also financially, you know, it's uh 
it's a bit of a boon, I guess, to have a new deal that brings the the value up a bit. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, listen, as fans, we just want see some nice kits don't we I mean yeah. I, don't, I don't particularly have an affinity with one particular brand I just want them to make Arsenal shirts that look like Arsenal shirts yeah you know people do have favourite brands and stuff and that's that's fine I'm a, like when it comes to trainers I'm an Adidas guy and football boots actually do you know how hard it is to buy fucking football boots these days I find it very difficult I was in town yesterday looking for a new pair of boots for Fiverside Astro and hard, there's hardly any and some of them are like these weird rugby boots, you know, that have the ankle bit on them. Oh, yeah. I don't want but, that. No, you can't do all your, all your silky skills with that on. It's, it's, it's restricting you. <laughs> <laughs> I need those because otherwise I will obviously turn my ankle yeah. within 30 seconds of the game starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so did you get some boots in the end? No, no. I might go on... A, You're playing barefoot. Yeah, I might go on pro direct soccer. See if they've got oh, some okay. stuff on there. Actually, before we go into the break, um, very subtly, I want to mention somebody. Um, if you're looking or if you struggle to find streams for games, mm. there's a guy on Twitter called at Highbury Streams. It might be just I've worth your while. This. might be just worth your while sending that guy a DM. That's okay. all I'm going to say. Okay. All right. Wow, he's he's going to be inundated. He might well be at this point. He might regret this. He asked me to give him a mention, so I have. Um, so there we go. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'll leave it there. Say no more about that. Nod, nod, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, et cetera, et cetera. Wink, wink. wink, wink. This guy can do crazy streams, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, go into a, we'll go into a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Um, I think the interlull hasn't just taken uh, a lull from football itself, but also from the amount of people asking questions. It's mm. quite quiet. Every, maybe everyone's on international duty. That's exactly it. The people who normally ask our questions are anonymous uh, international football players using burner accounts so yeah. that their support of Arsenal isn't uncovered. Who do you think they play for? 
probably. I mean, we know Harry Kane's probably one. He's an Arsenal fan, isn't he? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so they're all busy in preparing for their important Nations League matches tonight. So they can't ask questions. So these are just the ordinary Arsenal fans today. Sorry, guys. Um, should we do some, though? Yeah, let's try, will we? Let's try. Listen, let's see what I've we got can a get. few. We'll see. We'll get. This one actually is from LK6. Because okay. Laurent Koscielny, of course, isn't on international duty. No, so he can, he can just use his normal account. Hi, Laurent. Yes. So this is at LK6AFC. And LK says, given the success of the team that played away at Fulham, how many of Ozil, Ramsey and Aubameyang would you bring back in for the Leicester game? Ooh... Ooh, good question. I don't know. Um, are we going to play that two up front thing again? It feels like we could. We at could, home, especially at home. So you could bring Aubameyang back in for Welbeck, who's got a hamstring. So that would be one change, wouldn't it? Um, Ozil for who, though? Uh... Gosh. Well, Beck missed international duty, didn't he? We suspected a slight injury uh, when he came off against Fulham yeah. and it, it, there was a, a tight hamstring there. So, I mean, maybe, maybe he'll he'll be out for the Leicester match. It's difficult to know at this stage. Yeah. Like, where do you play Ozil if you're going to play him? In that system, where do you play him? Mm, I, I don't know. I'm not sure you can. Mm. I'm not sure you can. I mean, some people would say, well, you could kind of put him in the role Mkhitaryan and Wobidu, you know, as a kind of wide player who's sort of operating in that half space between a winger and inside forward. But I just... He doesn't feel like a natural there, does he? I mean... No. It would feel like crowbarring someone in. Um, you know, I feel like the, the obvious place to play him is kind of as the the second striker, but then you're back up more like a 4-2-3-1 and you've kind of done away with the whole mm. two strikers thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I have a feeling that Ozil will probably come in for Mkhitaryan and Iwobi will keep his place. And Ramsey will be on the bench. Right. Mm. But Ramsey on the bench. Ramsey's also pulled out of international duty, by the way, but it was due to personal reasons. So, so we assume that's his wife is about to have a child, yeah, a baby. So maybe that's that's what that is. Um, um, so yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows? I think Ramsey. I think Ramsey will start on the bench. Uh, I think. I mean, can you drop Iwobi? I think after how well he played I against Fulham and how well he's been doing, I'm not sure you can. Really. No, I don't think you should either. I'm going to say that Welbeck will, will miss out yeah. either due to injury or uh, just tactical reasons. So I think it might be Aubameyang and Lacazette up front as the two. And then I think... Oof, I think Iwobi will play from the left and maybe Ozil will play from the right. Mm. Maybe he'll try it in a home game and see if he can get away with it. Um, what do you reckon? Um, like I said, I think it'll be Ozil in for Mkhitaryan. Iwobi will keep his place. Aubameyang come in for Welbeck. And then I think it'll be more or less the same team. Um, maybe Socrates will come back in at centre-half. Alongside who? That's the question. Rob Holding or Shkodran Mustafi? Um, what's our, I mean, what's our fixture schedule like? I'm just going to have a look at the schedule here because... Um, 
Okay. Oh, so we've got Sporting away. Right, so it's Leicester on Monday, Sporting away on Thursday, and then again an early kickoff on Sunday, London Derby against Crystal Palace. So... Yeah. I don't know. I... It's really hard to know. The Ozil thing's the real conundrum, isn't it, about this new system? I mm. mean, I know we didn't want to go on about it after the Fulham game because you want to talk about the players who performed so well rather than those who were missing. Mm. But there is a certain incompatibility about him and that formation. I agree. I agree. We don't know if it's a new system, though, or something he's just done once. You know, this is the thing. We don't know what, what way he's going to pick his team or what formation he's going to use. Um, but I suppose that's that's what makes it interesting, keeps us on our toes, you know, when it comes to trying to figure out what team selection or what, what players he's going to pick, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'll go with based on that, you know, just Ozil at home yeah. ahead of Mkhitaryan, Mkhitaryan in for the, for the Europa League game. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sounds about right. Oh, I've got a question. Can I do another question? I know it's your turn. Of course, turn, yeah, yeah. So this is from JJ Burkamp Ten on Twitter, and JJ says, "What are your thoughts on Mkhitaryan overall? He hasn't had many memorable moments and doesn't seem to command games. Clearly has ability, but do you see his future with the club beyond next summer? I just thought he's sort of an interesting player to talk about uh, because he." he, he <sighs> He has been sort of oddly absent from what I would call the first 11 this season. You know? Kind of, yeah. And I think what what intrigues me about him is he can look so peripheral and lightweight at times and then he pops up and has these bursts of productivity um, in terms of w- what he brings to the team, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I find him... A, I find it hard to get a read on him exactly. In terms of where is his best position and what, you know, what he should be doing and what, where he should be doing it in the team. I'm just trying to look up his stats here. I think he's got quite good stats this season. Bear with me here. I'm going to look them up. Um, he, yeah, it's it's kind of like he feels to me like the perennial sort of odd man out. You know, whenever you try and build your Arsenal team, I feel mm. like he's the guy who sort of misses out. Yeah. But he hasn't done much wrong. I would say in an Arsenal shirt, he's he's been, you know, pretty handy and pretty productive as well in terms of goals and assists, um, and he seems to link really well with certain players, particularly I would say Özil combines well with Aubameyang. He combines Bellerin, well with Hector Bellerin. Bellerin, of course. He seems like a really good partnerships player, but without necessarily looking like a star in his own right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think he's a a really good squad option. Not sure yeah. he's a guy who's going to start week in, week out, but but you can pretty much rely on him to give you something in a game. I do find him a little bit lightweight at times, but then he pops up with a goal or an assist or, you know, so he, he gets involved in moves which lead to goals. You know, you can think of two against Fulham where he played the pass out to Bellerin and Bellerin played to Aubameyang. Aubameyang scored. It was his lovely pass for Aubameyang, wasn't it, that set up the Aaron Ramsey goal. So he is involved. You know, I don't want to go on about pre-assists because it's a bit Alexander Hlebi, isn't it? But, yeah, you know... He, he's also got a habit of whenever I think he's having a bad game, he'll then do something really good. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I remember the Chelsea match. Yeah. He was having a nightmare and then suddenly he sort of lashed one in uh, and then created another, I think. Mm. And... 
there have been times where we've said it before that he's almost been a bit Alexis-y you know he's sort of giving the ball away but then we'll have a, a moment of brilliance in the final third that has an impact on games I, I actually disagree in some ways with the question that says he hasn't had many memorable moments I think he has had memorable moments but I don't think he's been someone who's Mm, shone throughout the 90 minutes, you know, particularly. Yeah, he's more of a moments guy than a, a consistent performer, man of the match kind of a guy. I mean, I, I'd sort of liken him in some ways to Theo Walcott, that there are times where he gets, you get a bit frustrated with what he can't do and then he, you know, pulls something really excellent out of the out of the hat. So, um, yeah, did we get a better deal than Man United did with Alexis? I think on paper, no, but as it's panned out, mm. probably. But then, you know, but we, we say that, but what we've effectively got in Mkhitaryan is predominantly a substitute, predominantly, mm. you know, at the moment, a Europa League guy, whereas, you know, they got one of the stars of world football. So I think mm. we are seeing it a little bit through Arsenal tinted glasses sometimes. Yeah. It's not like we got Aubameyang. Well, we kind of did. We did. But yeah, <laughs> we did, but not directly. I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. Okay, here's a question from David McNamara at DVDMCN. He said, I meant to ask this last week, but Sunday recording caught me out. Do you have any thoughts on the we've got our Arsenal back chant that rang out at the Fulham game last week? Nice to have a bit of optimism among the fan base or a bit tone deaf given our current ownership situation? That's an interesting question, isn't it? I saw a lot of chat about this online and... I have to say, I personally had no qualms with it. I think that maybe what it's about is something that not everybody understands, presumably, which is that away day experience. You know, a lot of those fans go to every single away game and the atmosphere among our own supporters has been pretty toxic in the last few seasons. Mm. And, and by all accounts, I mean, Fulham is famously one of the great away days of the Premier League. You know, everyone I think was delighted for them to come back up because it's a great little ground in a great location. It's a great day out. But with the performance, with the sort of renewed sense of optimism, with the, the change in manager, certainly, um, I think there is just a different atmosphere, a different atmosphere probably among those away fans. And I think they reveled in that and I think given their loyalty and their commitment uh, I think they're due that and I think it's absolutely fair enough so well, so I had no qualms really Were people critical of it? I think so yeah On what basis? Uh, I think that I don't really understand why I think it's because is it because there's an implicit idea that Arsenal went away um, that, that you their Arsenal went away and it's like well you know, you, you say it's we've got our Arsenal back because we're winning a game comfortably, but, you know, it's, it should be your Arsenal come rain or come shine. Uh, or is it because it feels like it's a, a dig at Arsene Wenger? But how is it a dig to... at Arsene Wenger if you say we've got our Arsenal back after a game in which we win 5-1 playing really nice football, the sort of football that you would naturally associate with Arsene Wenger at his best? Mm. I don't know if it's I, a dig at Wenger or maybe, you know... Uh, well, maybe at the last couple of years of Wenger, potentially. Yeah. But I, I just think it's not... I think it is literally, as I described, about watching Arsenal being a pleasant experience as much because of what's happening off the pitch as mm. on it. As much because of what's happening between fans, which had got really nasty. You know, and if you mm. spoke to people like Tim Stillman, I know has talked about it on the Arscast before, about the, the atmosphere 
you know, that was developing and brewing and the enmity and the, you know, the factions and all that nonsense made going to Arsenal not particularly fun, I think. You know, yeah. it was it was a bit of a, a depressing experience at times. And I just think to go to an away game and enjoy it, partly because of the result, but as much because of the, the ambience, I think I get it. You know, I get it. And I feel a bit like that. I feel a bit like that. Even as a someone who doesn't go to all the away games and someone who, you know, is kind of watching them from afar, I feel like, look, I'm not scared to watch <laughs> us go away to Fulham anymore, you know, or anywhere else. I I feel reinvigorated. Mm. Um, maybe, you know, look, maybe as well, I think people are annoyed because, well, let's say we've got Arsenal back when we've won the league. Do you know what I mean? But I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I don't think you can... It's only your Arsenal when you've won the league or when you're in the mm. Champions League. It's about that fan experience. And if you're enjoying that again, which is the reason we all started supporting this club because we, something about it attracted us and was enjoyable and was fun. If you're having that feeling again, then I think that chant is absolutely fair enough. Mm. And it's just a chant. Yeah, there is the, the, the other side of this that maybe people are just reading far too much into a spontaneous chant at a football match during which everyone's having a great time because we're playing well, we've just scored some lovely goals. You know, it's not really, you know, it's not as if someone sat down and went, right now, let's sing that we've got our Arsenal back chant. Of course because, you know, It's spontaneous. And yeah. they're not thinking about the ramifications of it and the consequences mm. and the deeper meaning. It's uh, just yeah. a great day out. Sure, exactly. And like with all, absolutely all due respect to Arsene Wenger, perhaps you might look back on the last, maybe the last 18 months, two years, maybe he was like a thorn in our paw, if you like. And now mm. the thorn is gone. And, I, I, you know, I don't want to be disrespectful. I want to be very clear about this. But it feels like all of a sudden there's just some baggage has been shed or that that thing that was so painful that we kept having to relive over and over again every time we took a step we're, we're feeling the thorn in our in our paw and now that's gone and it, it yeah. sort of has has affected the mood in a positive way maybe that's it all has, it is of course you know that's it I, I think something that had become a real lightning rod and sort of um a bone of contention mm. has been removed. And look, who knows? The way of the modern world, something else will come up. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> so let's enjoy a bit of nice atmosphere while there is some. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I can't begrudge anybody uh, that chance. Yeah. Um, what else have we got here? We've got questions about Henri and Vieira. We sort of talked about that. I mean, what this is a particular thing. Andy Coates, who's uh, at Andy Coates 10, said about Henri, do you think it's inevitable that Henri will become Arsenal manager no. at some stage. No. It's not inevitable. I mean, if he does well uh, at Monaco, then he's certainly going to be a candidate, isn't he, at some point in the future. If he proves himself to be a really effective manager at top flight, then why wouldn't he be considered because of his association? But right now, we just have no idea. So it's yeah. all dependent on on his performance as Monaco manager, how he deals with the job. And it's, you know, there's a lot to management. It is so, so different from being a player, as we know. And I know that's blindingly obvious. But, um, you know, the, the point about great players becoming great managers, they are few and far between, really. Um, because I think there's something more natural about being a great player than a great manager. 
You know, you have a talent and you can hone it and develop it and you can be coached and you can work hard and you can make yourself better at football and you can improve your decision making and you can become experienced and mature as a player and, and do things instinctively because you've learned them over and over and over again. You know, you've been playing mm. football since you were a kid. You know, that talent manifests itself in what you do on the pitch. But dealing with players, dealing with asshole players, dealing with needy players, dealing with players who are perhaps uh, there to undermine you in a way, dealing with agents, dealing with the politics of a football club, dealing with transfers, dealing with money, dealing with fan pressure, dealing with expectation. All of those things require completely different skills from any uh, player. You can, you can be aware of them, you can know them, and you can have experienced them to a certain extent when you were a player. Um, I think Henri talked about this, didn't he, a couple of months ago? Wasn't there an interview where he, he said, you know, as a player, you're a pain in the arse to the manager? Yeah. He was, showed was a, it in a that... degree of self-awareness, really, didn't he, talking yeah. about that? Was it in that thing he did with Gary Neville, perhaps? I think it was... Maybe that's what it was. I can't remember exactly, but, it, you know, he said, you know, when you look back on your career, you're a pain in the hole for any manager. And now he's going to have a squad of 24, 25 players at Monaco, all of whom are going to need to be treated in different ways. He's got to get to know them. He's got to understand them. He's got to to figure out who who are the people who he can rely on, who are the people he can't. You know, there's a it's a huge job. It's a huge um it's why, you know, when you look back on what Wenger did for 20-odd years at Arsenal, the consistency is remarkable. It mm. really is a remarkable thing to be that consistent for that long. You know, I know it tailed off in the last couple of years when we finished outside the top four. But to be able to have that authority for that many years uh, is an amazing thing. Um, so I don't think it's inevitable that he's going to be the Arsenal manager. It's a possibility if he does well. I, I think... Yes, it is a possibility. It's it's not an inevitability, and the reason I say that is, if football worked like that, ever you know, Tony Adams would have been Arsenal manager. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. he, uh, when he retired from playing, people would have thought, well, that's obviously how it's going to go. But uh, his career shows that isn't necessarily how things pan out. Mm. And I think the same has to be true of Henri. He might be an icon; his statue might be at the ground, but uh, you know, football is a. Arsenal is such a big business now that they can't afford to just take a gamble on a guy like Henri without any knowledge of his, mm. his managerial qualities. I mean, look, that's ultimately the decision they had to make about Mikel Arteta too. Mm. They had to go with someone a bit more tried and trusted and with a bit more of a track record. So he's got a chance. He's definitely mm. got a chance. His ties with the ownership, his ties with the club means his name will come up every time the Arsenal vacancy you know, comes up in the next few years, I'm sure. Yeah. But he's got to be... Convincing, and he's got to be the right guy, and he's got to he's got to prove something at Monaco. You know, he's going to a club who are really struggling in league, and they're down near the bottom of the table. They've lost a lot of key talent, a huge amount of talent over the last few years. You know, it's not just Mbappe; it goes way beyond that. The players that they've sold is quite extraordinary. So, I think this is a big a big job actually, and a significant test in a, a lopsided league where PSG are very dominant. And, uh, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how he gets on. Yep, yep. Okay, here is a question from, oh, Dolphin. I don't like dolphins. I don't like dolphins. You anyway, hate dolphins. I do hate dolphins. They're such bastards. Um, anyway, his uh, Twitter is at Pete Pete Peter. 
And he says, I'm about to do the 17-hour flight from Singapore to New York. Whew. Which Arsenal games would I re-watch during the entire 17-hour flight? Now, I, I don't think we can come up with a 17-hour playlist. So if you're on a 17-hour flight, James, pick three Arsenal games that you would watch in their entirety again. There are different categories, because there are some games where it's like, well, that was just a footballing masterclass for 90 minutes. Mm. So one I remember really fondly, when was it? Let's let me Google the result and see if I can um, pinpoint exactly when it was. It was on uh, the 11th of May, 2005, and it was Arsenal 7, Everton 0. And I I can't remember the context. I feel like maybe we had fallen out of the title race maybe by this point um what date was it 11th of may so i'll look at the table for 2005 yeah okay i'll look at the table for the 11th of may 2005 because i feel like uh i remember thierry Henry didn't start he came on at half time i think but uh ron van Persie did start alongside dennis burkamp and it was just a game where Burkamp was just astonishing. There were some brilliant moments. Um, oh, he set up some goals for Van Persie, didn't he? He set up one brilliant yeah. goal for, for Robin and Van it was Persie. This sort of interesting kind of torch-passing moment almost, you know, because it was Burkamp and Van Persie alongside each other and they both did really well. Um, Edu, I remember, played really well in that match as well. But it was just a performance where I, maybe I've got the context wrong, but I feel like maybe the pressure had come off, you know, that Arsenal had been in contention and then dropped out of it maybe and it was this explosion of uh okay of well that brilliance. was that was our second last game of that season so right. it would have been the match day 37 um so it would have put us fifth in the table Tottenham are in fourth oh, on 65 points, points. Tottenham in fourth 65 points Arsenal in fifth on 64 points and at the end of that particular season well we must have finished above them because of course that was the record wasn't it we carried on yeah beating them to champions league football Tottenham, so we we won our final game of the season uh no hang on a second how is this possible i'm looking at this wrong it shows me here that we we Okay, that Everton game was okay. That that game would have put us on sixty-seven points, and we lost our our final game of the season to Birmingham away to Birmingham. Walter Pandiani and Emil Heskey. Of course, Heskey. I remember Walter Pandiani. Scoring. They were the they were the goal scorers. We had a tight Birmingham. Time at Birmingham over the years. But what did Tottenham do on the final day of that particular season? They must season? have Tottenham did. They, they absolutely must have Tottenham did. They, they drew, they lost 1 0 to Middlesbrough and then drew 0 0 to Blackburn at home on the final day of the season. Wow. Mm. Well, this game was just a sensational performance from Arsenal. And Burkamp set up the first three goals with assists for mm. Pires, Van Persie, and Vieira. They were all like brilliant moments. It's a Burkamp brilliance, and he he scored the sixth goal as well, and it was sort of towards the end of his career, but it was one of his like you know really virtuoso displays. Was, was that the game where there were the the one more year, one more year chance were going around? Probably, probably because he did have one more year, didn't he? After yeah. that point, and that was it. Um, 
I mean, I, f- I feel like that happened. There was a few years, weren't there, where he had kind of a rolling contractual situation where they would take him up. I, mean, I think even the Invincible season, um, I remember it when they celebrated on the pitch at White Hart Lane, there was one more year then, because I think it was a year at a time, essentially, for Burkamp by that point. Yeah. But this was a, just a brilliant display. And so that that would make my playlist, not for the context, really, but just because as a 90 minutes, it was just dazzling, dazzling football. Mm. Um there's been a few others like that, but that one stands out. But then if you're looking sort of like, wow, what what game would I really want to watch the entirety of again? Um, well, can I, I can I throw one in here? Yeah, do. I think um, the Middlesbrough game, the 5-3. Yeah, Ivory, that's a great one. That's a great one. Which was an amazing game in August 2004. And we were, I think, in the middle, or not in the middle, but we were... We were right at, uh, in the last 10 games of our unbeaten run, I think. Um, and maybe that game had something to do with the record that was previously held. Yes, I think it did. I think it put us... Uh, it was it, Nottingham it, Forest. Nottingham County, maybe? Notts County? Or not, no, I don't Nottingham know. Forest. It, it was oh, Forest. Was it? Yeah, under Clough. Yeah. Um, it put us beyond somebody, didn't it? Or level with somebody. Yeah, um, and you know we we were three one down. I remember was it Frank Cadru, yeah, who scored a goal like a sort and cross shotty thing. Yeah, it yeah. was weird, and it was one of those where you could really hear the the Highbury screamer. Yeah, uh, as that goal near went post in. wasn't it? Keepers near post. Yeah, Layman moved the other side, and it just swerved back in. But then Bergkamp, uh, Reyes scored a goal. Perez scored. Amazing, an amazing game of football, that one. The Arsenal 5-3 Middlesbrough game. Uh, Another one from not long before that, by the way, would be the 4-2 against Liverpool a few months earlier, which kind of uh, helped us secure the, the 2004 title with Omnis yeah. Hattrick. Yeah. Um, and then maybe, I don't know, maybe some of the cup finals. I'm not sure my heart could take watching the Wigan one again. Uh, well, that wasn't I a think... final. That was a semi-final. So, oh, sorry. I mean Hull. Oh, the I mean Hull. Hull. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it all comes good in the end. So maybe it certainly does. I'd like to watch. Uh, you know, the game we scored two goals in a minute against Tottenham. That was really oh, good. Yeah. Um, oh, the five threes. You'd oh have well, to have them five, in there. the five twos. They were five, five twos, twos. Sorry, five twos. Yeah, you'd, ha- you'd have to have them in there. I've given them an extra goal. Yeah, so. I think that the, was it. The first five two was with the the Bakary Sanya. Sanya, yeah. yes. yes, that would make the playlist. That would make the cut. Yeah, um, there are probably others. I think I think some of. of the some of the games we played against Manchester United um, were just so. I'd love to look back in them now, actually, and and relive because I can remember just being so always so uptight and nervous so when hyped, those games yeah. were on you know and I remember one happen like that anymore yeah there was one in particular maybe a, a game at Old Trafford maybe around 99 I can't quite remember Freddie Jumberg I think scored for us and they equalised late on but the just the intensity of those games mm. would make them really interesting to, to watch again so. Going back to, I think it's ninety seven, ninety eight. Is it the three two with the Platt header? Like that's a that's a brilliant yeah. Arsenal match. Uh, Nicholas and Elka kind of bursting onto the scene really in that game, mm. and then um, carrying it forward to, you know, the sort of real Vieira Keen uh, rivalry days. Uh, but you'd want to pick one that we won. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's plenty to choose from out there. Plenty to choose. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there are. 
There are plenty. Uh, is there any way to sort of go back and historically watch entire 90 minutes of Arsenal games? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Apart from a st- live streaming service, if someone could, you know... If anyone out there has the means, yeah. <laughs> let us know. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to go back and, and watch some of those again. I'm sure you can find highlights of most of them, but watching the full 90 minutes again is uh, is is hard, I'd say, to, to track those yeah. down. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of little details that you forget. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, the Inter Milan win is another one. Yeah. The away win that I think would be really enjoyable Champions to League, watch. yeah. yeah. Um, the Barcelona game, the 2-1 at the Emirates. Oh, I'd love to watch that. I'd love to watch that. That was when... You know, Jack Wilshire was at his peak. Kind of at his peak at 19, yeah. Mm. Um, So, yeah, that would be a great one. I mean, how can you top Andre Arshavin scoring a winning goal against Barcelona and running off with Nicholas Bentner, pulling his shirt up over his head to reveal a T-shirt with himself on it? Is that not the most Arshavin thing of all time? I think it might be. I think it's sort of, it's a, almost a sort of uh, philosophical moment, isn't it? I mean, it was like a piece of art, performance art. Uh, so yeah, I think that's hard to, hard to beat. I mean, look, it's a long old flight, isn't it? Good luck mm. to him on it. Seventeen hours. Stretch those legs. Get those legs stretched. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, okay, I think. Uh, have we got anything left? Have you got anything left? Let me have a quick look. I mean. We've, 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 you know, we've, we've got something. We've, we've, we've managed to do something, haven't we? Yet again, we we've have managed to do a podcast. I've, uh, I've got one final one here. Uh, oh, go on, Beardy McBeardface, who asks questions quite regularly. This is yeah. quite a good one. Hello, who, Beardy. Who is in your Arsenal five-a-side team if you can only choose one player uh, from each of the seventies, eighties, nineties, noughties, and tensies? That's what I call it. It's the official is tensies. What happens if a player played across, you know, so say you've got Stop like Tony complicating. Adams. Okay. Stop complicating it. 70s, uh, not my era really, but I guess you'd have to say Brady. Yeah. Um, it would be hard not to, it would be hard not to pick Brady. You've got to have a keeper. Um, Do you? Okay, I think we I think we should pick different teams then. So are you going I'm giving you the honor and you've got Brady first. Wow, I feel like you should have Brady. Yeah, I should, I mean, but you know, you've you've chosen right, I'll, well I'll, done. Okay, well you've got more in-depth knowledge of the Arsenal teams in the 1970s, so I'll have Brady and then who's who do you want? Well, seeing as I have to have a keeper, I'll have Pat Jennings. Yeah, that was my second mm. choice. Uh are we going to go through chronologically? So now yeah, it's the 80s. 80s. I've got to pick somebody. Got to pick someone. Um, I've got Brady. So can I pick Adams? Sure. He played in the 80s. Fine. But he also played in the 90s and the noughties, but yeah, it's okay. But I mean, you know. So I'll have 80s Adams. Okay. Um, I mean, I know he's not probably not as good as 90s Adams, but I'll take it anyway. Okay. I'm going to have Charlie Nicholas. Oh, mm. lovely. Yeah. Champagne Charlie Nicholas. Um Okay, so we're on to the 90s. We're on to the 90s now. This is... Uh, now I'm, like, really torn. Mmm. Um, mmm. Think carefully. I've not got a goalie, have I? I'm going to have to pick Burkamp. Okay. I'm going to pick Burkamp. It's five-a-side is in my mind. I'm thinking he's a great five-a-side player. Okay. 
you know, it's five aside, so I need players who are explosive and can score goals, so I'm going Ian Wright, 90s Ian Wright. Okay, which means Thierry Henry's still on the table mm. as a naughty's player. It's there for you if you want him. He's there, but it's so there. is this Fabregas, and I haven't got a goalie. Mm, your, your, your options are dwindling here. I'm going with Henry. I'm You're going, going Henry. Henry? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um... I think I think I have to go with Sesk as okay. my naughty's player. That's fair enough. Yeah, I was torn between Vieira and Sesk. Torn there, but I've gone with Sesk just for the for the little craft, finding those little spaces, the ability to uh, you know take the ball head up, and uh, I, I feel like Vieira would be if we were picking an eleven aside team, you know. The wide open spaces that he could he could career into, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Well, listen, I've got to pick a goalie, uh huh, and I'm going to be controversial. Uh oh, <laughs> and I, I I'm going to go on a sort of technicality for Jens Lehmann because I know he was associated primarily with Arsenal in the noughties, but in 2011. He made one appearance, didn't he, as like a 40-year-old. Didn't he? He played, was it at Blackpool? Against Blackpool, yeah. In, Almunia was injured in the warm-up and Arsenal, it was his, it was Lehman's 200th Arsenal appearance and we won 3-1. So he was the oldest player to play for Arsenal in the Premier League at that point. I think he was 40 or 41. So I will pick Jens Lehman. So my finished team is Lehman in goal because you need a rush goalie in uh, yeah. five sides and I think he'd give you that. Then it's Adams sort of anchoring things at the back, Brady and Burkamp pulling the strings, and Henri up front. Okay, okay. I feel like my team is quite, um, quite attacking. Right. So from my final one from the tens, Mustafi, <laughs> Alex Song, <laughs> Alex Song. No, no. Uh, Gervinho is where I'm going with. No, I'm joking. Sure, I'm joking. I think I will go with. Uh, I think I'll go with the BFG. Lovely. It's, it's my, you know, it's my team. I can pick who I want, and uh, you know, there, there's some creativity. There's some goals. Big purr there to give it a bit of balance at the back. So read read me your team. So you've got Jennings in goal, Mertzaker at the back. Yeah, Charlie Nicholas, Sesk Fabregas, and Ian Wright against Both good teams. Jens Lehmann. Liam Brady, Tony Adams, Dennis Bergkamp and Thierry Henry. I feel like I've been less inventive with mine. Do you know what I mean? I think I've gone for the big names, haven't I? But well, that's what you get first pick. This is like picking uh, picking teams when you're in school, isn't it? The yeah. guy gets to pick first is always like, oh, he got that one. Ah, oh, no. So, we didn't really do anything to decide who picked first, so I was quite fortunate, really. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. What a, what a good game of five-a-side that would be. Oh man, I'd love to. I'd watch that for seventeen hours on loop or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. On a flight from Singapore to New York. Uh, okay. Well, look, we will leave it there because um, I think that's as much as we can squeeze out of a, an interlal. Uh, thanks as ever for being here. Thanks for listening. Um, it hasn't been too noisy, actually. That's been good. No. It's fine. I only actually heard it at all when we took a little break. So ah. they've timed it perfectly. Wow, fantastic. Thank you, worker guys. You're great guys. <laughs> um, right, we will be back uh, next week at some point. We don't know yet whether it's Sunday or Monday, but it will be... Uh, oh, no, it won't. It'll be Tuesday. God yeah. damn it. You know what? 
after this interlull, we're playing on a, a Monday night. And after the next interlull, we're also playing on a Monday night. I think our game against Bournemouth is the Monday as well. Right. So we have the longest interlulls of any team in the Premier League this season. It's, a, it's just a, a disgrace. I mean, we shouldn't complain too much because presumably this is the one time where it's kind of an advantage. You know, we probably want that recovery time, don't we? Yeah, but then it does, you know, if you've got Europa League as well, it squishes that together. Oh, uh, fair point. Yeah, you know? that's a little bit tricky. Oh, well, what can we do? Anyway, we'll be here uh, on Tuesday, next Tuesday then. Um, yeah, Lovely. that's it. Speak That's to it. you then, I guess. We will have an Arsecast on Friday, by the way, as well. We'll look ahead to the game against Leicester and uh, all the post-interlull roundup uh, waffling and everything else. So join us for that. In the meantime, take it easy. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.